Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We're back with even more insights from the first season of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate podcast series as we delve into how Jeff Swope, Michael Dardick, Michelle Wheeler, Jack Matthews, and Holt Lunsford lead their teams and companies and detail some of the wisdom they picked up on the way to becoming legends. This is the second episode of our look back at the Legends of Commercial Real Estate series, but we've linked to the first one in the show notes if you missed it, so go check that out as well. You can also listen to each of the original long-form interviews wherever you get your podcasts or watch them over on our YouTube channel. All of those links, as well as links to our social media handles, can be found in the show notes. And with that, let's get started. Our host for these interviews, 2020 Trek Chair Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners, asked each of the legends to talk about the core values that make up a successful business leader. And there were actually a lot of commonalities in their answers. First and foremost, you have to set a proper example for your employees to follow. And that example starts with working hard and treating people well. Swope of Champion Partners said these values were instilled in him early in life by his West Texas tough mother. I don't think I would ever be accused of not being proactive. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for whatever the reasons, my mother kicking me in the butt. I don't know. You know, who knows what it was when you were little that made you proactive. But there's just never been much time where I've had to, you know, worry about getting up in the morning or worry about not putting Work the effort out. in. My, my mother was West Texas tough, and she... That whole concept of, you know, you, you work, you do it, and you go do it. And uh, in fact, figure out a way to enjoy it even if you're having to do it. So proactivity was one. And, and then the, the thing that, that for some reason, somewhere, somehow, the idea of beginning with the end in mind, which Stephen Covey came up with in that wow. book, Seven Habits, back in 1985, 86, somewhere in that time frame. I already had that <clears throat> belief system. But reading that in that book was so inspirational to me because I found that that was just so important with everything, with your relationships, with your family, with your wife, with your company, with Jesus, whatever it is, what's the end in mind? And the end in mind with Jesus for you and I is eternity. Right. And so with that philosophy of beginning with the end in mind, it just, that's hugely important for me. Right, me too. Uh, very much so. And then I think the last just treat people like you want to be treated. Right. I mean, you know, so if you put get that philosophy, right. you don't walk in and say hi to Bill and just go, hmm. right. hey, Bill, good to see you. You come right. in, be excited, show some energy. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, yeah. show excitement. So we have work hard, treat people well, be proactive, and begin with the end in mind. This idea of having a vision for what success looks like for your team and company. Swope later elaborated on that last point. So, okay, what do you think good leadership looks like? Oh, you know, I, that one's a tough one. I mean, I, I think, first thing I wrote down was uh, admit your mistakes. Boy, that's true. You know, I'm, I'm probably sometimes too quick. But I think if, if one thing I've learned, to, if I am even come close to feeling like I did something. We had something come up last couple of days around here. And I told the group, I said, guys, we shouldn't have gotten it. And we sort of got a box canyon on us a little bit. And I said, that's my fault. I should have seen that box canyon coming. And it's because I, with all my friggin' experience and all my friggin' knowledge I'm supposed to have, uh, I didn't see that. It was just a question of timing. 
Right. And I didn't see that that might be an issue in this particular land contract, and mm -hmm. it's my own fault. So I'm, I'm, I've admitted it five times around here the last 24, 36 hours, right. and it needed to be. I mean, it was my fault. That's the role I should play here. Right. So that's that's one of them. The other, the other things I wrote about uh, is, you know, develop a well-thought-out vision and share it with a team. I think, you know, there's never been a question with anything that, that I try to be involved in, whether it's forming the Real Estate Council or – champion or whatever being on the board of companies or a nonprofit that uh just set a vision and communicate it just help set the vision and communicate it and reinforce that people love to be led by people that can look out and say this is where we're going right you know i love to start out conversations with here's where we've been here's where we are and here's where we're going right and i've I'll do that first time I meet somebody, right. you know, and sitting down and talk about champion or talk about my family or talk about a nonprofit. Because mm -hmm. I just think it's people will follow people that have a perspective and have the energy to head that direction. Right. You've got a, a conviction about what mm -hmm. you're doing. Yeah. And people want, I think most people want to be led. I think that's right. And there's guys like you and I that don't want to be. Right, but that also that, that can also be a curse. <laughs> but, but because it can be difficult to live with, right. as you know. Right, Michelle Wheeler of Jackson Shaw, who credited Swope as one of her mentors during her time with Champion, also stressed the importance of creating an environment that fosters open communication between team members and leaning on the strength of those relationships to forge a path forward. You know what? I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Um, I'm also a big leader. A big proponent of trust, um, which means, you know what, you've got to be able to debate and anybody in that room needs to be able to challenge anybody else in that room to come up with the best ideas. Um, right. So it, I am not going to have the best ideas every time, but I want, I encourage people to challenge and have debate. I right. mean, really be constructive about it. And then I'm a big believer in transparency and being a good fiduciary. I mean, we're only as good as our partners and our lenders and our relationships are. And so you've got to be community. I mean, you've got to constantly communicate, over communicate. I, I think relationships are built bad yeah. times, right? Yeah. People no, everybody, yeah. Show it's people how you, you care. Behave. Well, right. it's, 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 everybody behaves great during good times. It's how are you going to behave during bad times? Right. And do you find like in, in uncertain times, like we've been through that you're um, like when you're like a little bit uneasy about what's going on, you don't know what's coming. Does that put you into action or are you yeah. contemplative or what, how do you react? To that? Uh, it actually makes me, I'm a fighter, but I guess, you know, I, that's the one thing that, um, going back to Jeff again, he knew that the more, the harder he was on me, the more motivated I got. Right. So the more difficult times are, <laughs> right. the more you just want to bust through the wall to get to the other side. But that's what motivates me. That's not, it's not Everybody's one time. motivated differently, right? Everybody's motivated differently. So during bad times, you know, I generally have a tendency to hunker down and just push as hard as I can. I'd like to revisit what Jeff said about admitting your mistakes and acknowledging failure. Failure is a natural part of life and business, whether those failures are big or small. But as Michael Dardick of Granite Properties said, great leaders are responsible for mitigating the severity of their failures and treating them as learning experiences. 
And so like one of the questions they've got that I'm supposed to ask you is uh, failure. Do you ever worry about failure? Have you, you know, I, I, I don't fear failure as much as I've always learned from it. I think pain or distress creates indelible experiences that, that, that form you, that mold you, right? I think it makes you better. But I mean, everybody looks at you and probably thinks, you know, it's just been a cakewalk to where you're at. But do you think about failure or how is failure, if uh, the ones, the few you've had affected your approach to business and maybe your life? So first of all, your comment about indelible impressions is my, my word was tattoos. Yeah, right. exactly. Know, I've got Scars. them all over, and they're not—they're not, they're not going to leave me, right? I want those tattoos because right, you don't want to forget. I don't, you know, for sure. I failed a ton, Bill, more than a couple times. Um, you know what we talk about around here is uh, number one: try not to have a catastrophic failure. Right. You can live with lots of failures, just don't have a catastrophic one. The flesh wounds are okay, right? You can survive yeah, them. And then, and then make sure you're willing to. Uh, be vulnerable enough to really learn the lesson because then it then it's not really a failure it's a it's going to create we think about those you know flesh wounds as you call them and, and say if we stop and learn we're probably going to create four acts from that learning that we did from that failure and it's going to actually be a net win and right. nobody likes to go through the pain of difficult conversations with partners or losing money and we've all been there um but again if it's not catastrophic if you can get past it uh, right. I don't, you know, I, I would say that I, I think I'm just lucky the way I was born and wired that um, I, I kind of get a stomach ache from problems and that's a motivator to me. Right. When I get a stomach ache, it's like, hey man, you got to get in the game and get focused here. Right. Um, and and it's, I, I'm, I'm competitive, so it like makes me say, okay, how do you make this work? It may, may still be a failure. One of the things we talk about all the time over here, Bill, is losing less money is making money. Exactly. Right. Well, and don't you think first loss or, or I think you need to be um, timely in your reaction. I mean, if there's a fire under the couch, go put the fire out and then let's figure out how we fix the damage, right? Don't let the fire burn while you're trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think I've been lucky to be able to mentally reframe failures as uh, learning opportunities, challenges, competitive, how do you make it least, less worse? Right. Um, and, and so I, I wouldn't say that I've been overly damaged by failures, even though I've had lots of them. Let's review that list again. Work hard, be proactive in your approach, treat your employees and partners well, develop a vision for success and strongly communicate that vision to your team, create an environment that encourages collaboration, take responsibility for your inevitable shortcomings and learn from your failures. That's a pretty solid list so far, right? That all makes sense? Here's a good one from Jack Matthews of Matthews Southwest. Treat your partner's money as you would your own. Yeah, so, so basically I have rules for myself that come out of yeah. bad situations. Yeah. And so one of the rules is I always invest in my deals. Yes. And my money goes right beside um, whatever other money comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is I don't make any fee profit i'll put the expenses of of operating so an accounting expense and that type of expense in but i won't make any profit until all the capital is returned and an interest is is paid on that capital so i never want to be in the position where i'm making money and no one else is and they're not 
you're lying totally. So are, do you do you earn fees? You just don't get them out until everybody's covered, or do you not charge? Yeah. No, okay. and and we're we're on, definitely on the low side of fees. Uh -huh. um, yeah, my CFOs explained to me on more than one occasion we only collect about half of what we spend in recouping our fees, so yeah, we're low. But uh -huh. but the end result is you don't lose investors ever. Um, right. You treat their money better than your own, right? And it works. What we now have is a blueprint for a successful commercial real estate professional. This person has all five tools to borrow the baseball analogy, hit for average, hit for power, run fast, field your position effectively, and throw well. But as we've seen in sports, having these tools does not necessarily guarantee greatness. What's missing is an ability to make those around you better. As you will see, Michael Dardick's take on what makes a successful leader was slightly different than the others. You know, I, I do think for me, like with my kids, it's all about drive or grit, you know, determination. I mean, I will take a street fighter over uh, highly educated. I mean, I, if somebody, you know, somebody that's, that's driven to, to, to do more, because most of it is like you said, you're betting on people, but it's also, you got to have somebody that's got the talent that wants to push themselves to excel, right? Yeah, yeah, or, or accepts being pushed. Even if they didn't want to push themselves, if they get bit by that bug, right. you know, if, you, if you show them that, yeah, I'm going to push you and they do something, they get excited about that. Right. Um, I will tell you, I think the hardest thing for me, and I think this is hard for all leaders, you know, uh, you can't use the same hammer on every nail. And so everybody's different. And just because, you know, Tommy or Sally may be wired a certain way and either respond to the tough coach or the gentle coach, yeah. You've got to, you know, it's your job as a leader to adapt to the person. And that's hard when you have a certain personality. Right. Right. I, I think. I, well, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I think one of the things like you lead such a big company. I mean, do you have any kind of philosophies on leading your company and what, what you think a good leader should do or, or how they should act? Um, I don't, I don't know if I have any big philosophies. I do have some things I, I adhere to. Uh, one is that uh, I tell our people all the time, I, I do not think it's the leader's job to have the answer. I think it's the leader's job to get the answer. And those are two different things. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I tell them all the time, I refuse for you to believe I'm going to walk around like the king and have all the answers. I absolutely refuse that. What I will, what I will do is I'll listen to everybody else and make the, make the decision. Right. Which means I'm going to go get the answer and you may have a better answer than me. And great. We found it there. I like that one. Right. Um, the, the, the second picture I like to draw for our teams is I refuse to be the think think for you to think the picture is I've got a rope over my back with a wheelbarrow and I'm going to carry people up a hill. The picture I like is you guys are running down the hill and I'm having to figure out how to run as fast as I can to stay in front of you. You know, right. so in other words, you should be pushing us versus somebody pulling you. And, um, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, what about, uh, well, you've got offices across the country. I mean, is there anything like leading people that, you, you know, how often do you get to other offices? I mean, do you, del are you a good delegator? I think you probably are right. Cause you got a really good team, but what's your, I, on think, that? I, I think I've gotten better. I, I would say, uh, you know, 15 years ago, you know, you're probably like me. I think I'm right most of the time. 
Right. And so, you know, uh, you know, you have to learn to trust other people and realize that they're probably actually better than you and you just need to get out of the way. So mm -hmm. that definitely took a while. I think I'm much better at it now. And some of it is we have a phenomenal team, so it's easy to trust them um, and realize they're doing better things than you might do on your own. I love getting our other offices. I love meeting with our teams. I do it all the time. I, I learn from them. I get a good pulse on what's happening in the company and what people are thinking about. And it's amazing the little comments somebody will make somewhere that are like, wow, like that's actually a big comment I didn't think about, right? Something right. relative to the business. Right. Um, but, you know, your job as a leader is to grow other leaders, right? And so that you don't have to be in the way um, and, and realizing they, they may be better than you and you actually need to get out of their way. And so begins the next phase of growing a successful leader. How do you ultimately bring out the best in people? Jeff Swope says to start by understanding what motivates yourself and other people and gave an example that contributed to the rise of another legend in our series. The thing that has really fascinated me, and I came up on it 20, 25 years ago, and the part of the reading, it's to understand the motivation of others. Right. And, and, and by, by that, I've learned that until you understood your own motivations, wow. you really can't understand the motivations of others. So when you're sitting around, you're young, you're trying to figure out what are you going to do, That's where terrible. am I going to go to work, where am I working? If, if you can't understand your own motivations, you can't really be in a very effective individual working with others until you understand your own. Once you understand your own motivations better, and that, that moves, that changes over time, can change from night to day. But when you understand the motivation that you have, what motivates you, then you can be a very effective relationship building because you'll start focusing on the motivation of others. Right. And we had a deal. I, I, I love Michelle Wheeler. Michelle, I'll tell everybody which I love you. But Michelle Wheeler worked with us, chief financial officer. And she was frustrated on the deal we were working. And she moved over on the product side a little bit because she wanted to learn. She wanted to become not just a CFO. So she was dealing with an issue. And I, I just said she had much stuff up on her whiteboard, all these whiteboards. I said, Michelle, brace all that stuff. Well, I'm standing there in her office and brace all that stuff. She erased it all. I said, okay, now I want you to take your pen. I want you to write motivation up in the upper right-hand corner, question mark. And I said, don't ever erase it. Because <laughs> I said, so smart. when you're dealing with something that's really a struggle especially, right. understand your motivation and theirs. And, theirs. and it was like that's when so I solid. somehow turned that key to that kind that's of, so and I can't smart. tell you how I got it, where it came from, and I've used that example I'm not, not you, Michelle, but I've used that example in so many people over the years, clients, customers, uh, contractors, architects, right. you know, and, and, and trying to understand why, why do we do what we do? Right. Why are we motivated this way? Right. Why are they and, and a lot of it has nothing to do with the individual you're, you're dealing with. It's to do with yourself. Why are you? What's going on here? Right. When we asked Michelle about motivation, not only did she tell us that guiding people toward their goals and seeing them take their next steps in their careers was what she enjoys most about her work these days, she also told her version of Jeff's whiteboard story. And so about that time, uh, Jeff Swope had gotten my name and number from someone because they, he had been busy doing feed development work for Nestle. Yes. And he was trying to do more principle-based work. And so he needed somebody that could talk to institutions and do that partnership stuff, you know, all the yeah. compliance-related activities. And 
that was my background. Um, I had a marketing orientation, so I was good with people, but I also understood numbers, et cetera. So he and Steve Golding and Steve Midori said, come over here and let's be partners and let's do this on the principal side. So that's what I did. So I was partners with Jeff and Steve and Steve and those guys for probably six years, almost seven years. I did not I mean, know there. Yeah, doing development. Awesome. Yeah, great learning experience because I would really say, you know, prior the family office side, Fultz to a certain extent because it was more bank orientation, compliance yeah, yeah. related work. Yeah. And then even with the private REIT side at Intershop was really more structured related work. Mm -hmm. And then moving over to Champion was the what I'll call the cowboy era. <laughs> yeah, it kind of got on the deal side, right? It, it was on the deal side, and it really just uh, expanded my right. whole yeah. And for somebody that that for somebody that had uh, come from that DNA, it was right. uncomfortable. It was, but it was uh, liberating. It right. was. It was highly liberating because all of a sudden you really got to use your marketing acumen right. and your structuring acumen to try to figure out how to do deals together. Well, and, and what a good team too. I mean, that team. Oh, oh yeah. God, best in class. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Swope was like, you know, I called him, you know, the, the fairy with pixie dust. He had great marketing spin and, he, and, you know, he gave you, he gave you plenty of rope and then would just, you know, crucify you to make sure that you were understanding decisions that you're making. Unbelievable learning experience. Yeah. And really, um, he put on my board motivation. You know, we had a lesson. He, he said, you're, that. oh, did it was fabulous. And it was, it was, yeah, it was one of those lessons learned that I actually wrote it on my board. So I would never forget when I'm talking to someone to always think of the, their, think right. about their motivation first before right. my own. Right. And it was, it was, it's invaluable. Yeah. You know, I, I will tell you this. I, that's the first question I ask somebody in any pitch or any presentation is yeah. they'll give you the answer if you ask them. Yeah. You know, amazing. Oh yeah. He was, he was super hard. You know, as a young 30 year old going over there, I didn't yeah. understand it. It culturally, right. it was a big culture change. Um, from going to a public company or private REITs over there. And the so that, West, right? <laughs> so I said, I call it the cowboy error, but it was hugely beneficial for me. I mean, I will always be indebted to him for what yeah. I learned from him. We asked the legends about the advice they wish they had received early on in their careers that they would now give to young employees at their companies. Holt Lunsford of Holt Lunsford Commercial said to start by figuring out what you want out of your career and take intentional steps toward achieving it. I encourage a lot of young people to be intentional and know what you want. Pause. This is the cheapest time of your life. It's never going to get any cheaper. Exactly. And if you're and that's because if you're successful, then life gets more expensive and you get married, it's more expensive. You have kids, it's more expensive. And the farther you, the more expensive life gets, the harder it is to make critical decisions because some options are taken off the table. Right. And because you don't have the choice to, to start your own business when you've got four kids in private school, you need to keep your job. Right. So while it's inexpensive, 
be intentional about what you want and just pause and say, what do I want? What kind of balanced life do I want? What I want to look like in, I call it a dream page. But to do a five and a 10 year dream page professionally, spiritually, and personally, from what you want to drive to how much you want to make to how you want to be giving back. And it kind of sets a framework for what you want to do. And for instance, it, it, when I made my decision to get in real estate, I needed to own real estate. So it wouldn't have done me any good to get in the tenant rep business. You know, I needed to get in the ownership business. Right. And so I'd have been wasting time if I, not really, or you can learn something from anything, but, but intentionally I got in the business line that I, I wanted to get in so that I could learn to own buildings and, and I, I went to school on the Crow Company on how to own buildings. So be intentional and don't just take a job because you're, you need the income, but take the job you want and you get to choose the job you want. So be patient, do your homework, get in the line of work you want to get into so that everything you do, every step you make builds upon the next step. And that's been something that's been very, very uh, effective for me because Bill, I'm doing the same thing. I'm in industrial real estate by and large in the same market that I started in, in 1986. So every relationship, people like you and, you know, Todd Platt and I were doing 3,000 square foot leases together. And he's a CIO at Hillwood. And Jack Fraker and I were doing deals. And he, you know, you look at these giants of real estate right. that I've been able to grow up with because I'm, I didn't bebop around and getting, you know, software and then real estate and then oil and gas. I, I just picked a trade, stayed with that trade. And, uh, you know, just a good steady pace, not hitting home runs, just singles and doubles and those relationships build. And as you know, this, the real estate business in particular is, is so critical, critically based upon relationships. And having those for 30 years is paid dividends for me. For Dardick, Wheeler and Swope, Learning as much as you can about what you are interested in doing is paramount to putting yourself in position to actually do it. One of the beauties of getting old is you get lots of experiences and those are helpful. And so one of our jobs as leaders is to pass those on. Not like, oh, young staffer, you don't know. Just more, let me share what I went through. Right. And what I took from that, and you can do what you want with it. It's just, you, you haven't gone through it yet, so I'll share what happened to me. Right. Well, like, I would think like a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast are going to be the young people getting, getting into the business or just getting started. And I remember when I was in my twenties and I would have somebody that was in their fifties telling me I am going to be successful. And I'm looking at the guy going, how the hell do you know that? I mean, cause I just wanted to get there. So like, if you were, what would, what do you have to say to the, the people coming out of college or the young people in the business? I mean, what, what, what's, what's your view or what, you know, what, what advice would you have for them getting into the business today? You know, honestly, you and I talked about this. Uh, it's, I would say this to any young person, which is 
by the way, I'm a, a super fan of young people coming out. I think a lot of people kind of shit on millennials, and I don't buy that at all. I think they're smart. I think they're authentic. I think they're they're aspirational. Uh, it's fine. Um, uh, I I think my thing is um, be willing to be a little bit patient as you're running up the totem pole to learn and to uh, build a foundation. Um, I you know for me the bank was a foundation. I built learning about businesses right. and how balance sheets work and how banks treat borrowers, treat lenders, and and right. how professional people go up in a business. And so even though I wasn't going to be a banker, it was a really valuable three years for me. And I think sometimes uh, uh, really smart young people are so aspirational. They don't want to necessarily go through the reps because they're ready. They think they're ready to go. And I think some of those reps, I always tell people, you know, sometimes if you put time in and you make, you know, one X less now, it'll be worth 10 X in five years. So, you know, put the reps in, learn the business right, learn from the right people. I'm, I'm really big on, I would tell somebody to go work for Bill Curley and learn about the business and make 10,000 less and then go work for some jerk and make 10,000 more because I think it's just going to be, you got you know, you get stink on you when you hang out with people that don't things, do things right. And right. you got to learn how to do things right. It's a long, right. road. it's a very long road. You and I know that. Right. My advice to young people is, is, Get with somebody that cares about you, right? But somebody that knows what they're doing that cares about you. Don't worry about the money. Build relationships and learn. Just learn. It's like it's like continuing to be in school. I mean, forget about the money. Just get in the right slot with the right people and learn. I am always like your first two to three years, your job is to be a sponge. Right. Just learn right. everything you can possibly learn. And by the way, and you were probably like this, I'm just wired this way. You know, I was the first in the office and last out because I don't want to miss anything. I just wanted to see everything I possibly see. One thing I learned in life, and it took me a little while to get there, but uh, the harder I worked, uh, the better I did. And it, it's about it's about effort. It just is. So, like, if you were your younger self, what would your recommendation or thoughts be for somebody just getting into our business? Like, yeah, you know what you went through or anything that you, any advice you can give people are just starved for advice. Right. Can you imagine being a young person trying to get in the real estate business right now? It's brutal. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, we're just trying to hang on to who we have. Right. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I think for me personally, I would have taken more risk on myself earlier on. It wasn't in my DNA earlier on. I wish I would have taken more risk earlier on because guess what? I didn't have the same level of obligations or, um, you know, all those things that life and age um, change. Right. Um, I, I would have taken more risk on myself earlier on. Um, and I would have continued. If you're not in an environment where you're constantly learning, put yourself into an environment that you're constantly learning. And to the extent that you ever quit learning, it's time to move on because you grow by learning. And don't be afraid of mistakes because that's how you learn. Right. I think, don't you think you learn more from making a mistake? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you what, though, you have had a incredible oh, list I've been lucky. of really good people that you've yeah. learned from. Like, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky. I mean, you know, a lot of life is luck. And right. um, I've been really blessed that, you know, God's put me in the path of great leaders and mentors that really, um, 
gave me the opportunity to learn. It, it, it also takes assertiveness and proactiveness. I'm highly competitive. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, but at the same time, you, you, you mix those ingredients with the right people and it's fabulous. Right. You know, I would say like if people ask me, like nobody would hire me. I kept trying to get a job when I first came to Dallas in 86 and I didn't know the city very well. So I couldn't get a job. So I went and started on my own. Well, what was your background? Well, I was, I was working for my dad in a residential real estate company and we were doing like storefronts and stuff. We had commercial, but it was nothing like Dallas. And, and so I kind of, my advice to people is get with good people where you can learn from the right people, like yeah. not focus on the money, but get in the right position. But like the risk piece, I totally agree. I think, you know, get yourself into that position. If you're built to take risk, right? You have to right. be a person. Yeah. I know a lot of people that just risk is like getting a root canal. They don't want any interest in, but I love, I mean, I respect risk but I enjoy it. You know what I mean? I really yeah. think the most fun about yeah. our business is figuring it out. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's one thing that I learned. I, I, I did learn that at champion. I didn't realize, um, how much, uh, pressure was put on you, right. When you're in that position, that was the first time, you know, with guarantees and, completion environmental and carve outs and all that kind of stuff and Jeff would always you know there was there's you know it switches right you think about it differently when when it's you on the line but I but I also it's not necessarily it's mitigated risk because you've done a lot of studying on your deal you've done a lot of research on your deal you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't have a high degree of conviction that your deal makes sense. When business is good, it's easy, right? It's, yeah. But I mean, real estate's never easy. Never but, easy. but it's, it's you got, don't have to guess what to do. And it's gotten more difficult as it's gotten as we've gotten older and more involvement because it's become a much more detailed business. Right. You think of how little it was what we had to do to go get a project done before and, and all the effort. But, you know, today you, you can't smoke through something. Right. You've got to you know can't, your stuff. You can't fake it. Right. You can't well, and I, I think being, I, I, I'm never comfortable being passive. Yeah. Like, like if uh, there's been times, there where, is no doubt that that's the true about your car. <laughs> well, that's true about you too. <laughs> no doubt, that's okay. But I mean, like I've been, there's been times when I I'm going, okay, I don't know if I should zig or zag. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. kind of know where this is going. Sure. And I, I don't think you just go to go. Yeah. But but um, I I have always seen you to be one that's kind of been out in front. So you've got convictions. Mm-hmm. You seem like a person like when you have a feeling or you have some peace about which way to go, you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Try to. Right. I don't think you've yeah. got much gray. You're black and white. In my but also, I think, that, I think some of that is part of, again, it evolves for you. I have a tremendous amount of curiosity. I mean, I read at least two hours, three hours a night. Right. And, and read a lot here at the office just try to keep up. But I really believe that there's a curiosity that comes that if you – and, and that's, a, that's something you learn. When somebody says to me, now, let's, my, my poor wife has to put up with this all the time. Let's watch this show, okay? Some Netflix deal or something, you know, because, you know, Susie and Bobby are watching it. They watched it last night. said, great. And I just I'd rather go, get a root canal than do that, too. <laughs> I do it I mean, with my wife. I, I mean, I, I just, I have difficulty, you know, doing that. 
because I sure it may be entertainment, maybe enjoy being with her, but I'd much rather read. Read, and it's not typically fiction. It's right. it's something to curiosity I have about something. So you and, want you're learning. I'm learning. So you know what? I feel the same way. I'm not a fiction reader. Yeah. I will learn. I will read something where I feel like I'm progressing yeah. or I'm learning something. Yeah. But I like a, a, oh, yeah. a some made up story. I'm out. Well, you know, I love the Tom Clancy novels right. for a period of time because of the strategy involved. Right. And the strategy, I've always gotten fascinated by strategy. Right. And so probably because I've always been so weak at it, but I, I, I love those books. And so I read back then, I read it on so many airplanes all the time that I was reading those books some. Right. But now it's become a fascination with, with a lot of other things about, about your personalities, about motivations, about Jesus, about just anything that I can learn. And I try to, try to really keep track of, the, of our real estate world. Right. I mean, I'm totally engulfed in things about our business. Who's doing what? How are they doing it? Right. What's going on? And that's typically not a local thing. Right. That's a national thing to right. see what the trends are. Right. Now, for, unfortunately, if you were in Dallas 10, 20, 30 years ago, what you saw happen in L.A. or East Coast was setting a trend for what might happen here. Right. Now we're setting a trend. That's what I think. And so it's hard. Right. It's, it's hard to stay in, 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 as... as, as uh, as, you can't do as good a job looking in the future because now Dallas is a place to be. I mean, so many times you and I were on airplanes, flying to New York, flying to Boston, flying to L.A., just trying to get money to come here. Remember when Dallas was redlined? Nobody knew oh, yeah. there was some money coming after the 80s. So that's why we ended up building, you know, doing all the projects we did in Atlanta and Chicago and Memphis and L.A. and places we were going just trying to find wherever the money needed to, felt it needed to go. If we stayed in Dallas, we were going to be in pretty bad shape. Jack Matthews talked about the importance of protecting your reputation with business partners and remaining humble in the face of growing responsibility, power, and money. So let's say if you were 25, 28, 30, just getting started in the real estate business, what, you know, what advice would you have for people? You know, how do you get to where you got? You've got all this going on. You've accomplished all this. So when I, when I, when I moved here, you know, I did a number of, you know, small lots. Um, so I'd buy an acre, divide it into four or five lots. I'd buy two acres. Mm -hmm. um, I was just trying to make money to, you know, to get to the next, the next deal. Next. And so on a personal basis, you know, you know no, no private plane. I, I don't spend much money. Uh, mm -hmm. We live pretty, I'm in the same house that I was when, when I moved here 26 years ago. Um, when you don't have the, the spend side of life. So what I see a lot of guys do, they, they, they do well, well on a deal and then they assume they're going to do well on the next five deals. So they, they get the roles or whatever. Um, they have the new memberships and, and then right. it doesn't work that way. So right. you and I have both seen that so many times. Um, so it's, so I would say to a young guy starting in the business or a young lady starting in the business, it's all about your reputation. Um, just your reputation is everything to your investors, to the cities, to the city managers, to whoever you deal with. Um, protect it. Like your handshake has to be your bond, which is old fashioned, but it's the way it's got to be. Mm -hmm. um, even when people don't expect it, surprise them. Um, it's, and then just do stuff that's within your reach. So it was, uh, you know, I had all the talent of building the, the big buildings. That's what I did in Canada. A lot of it, 
but I came here and I did, I did housing deals, um, just trying to build. So, and then I would basically take that profit, put it into a piece of land and sit there. Um, and that's just kept on, you know, rinse and repeat. Right. Cause like one of the things, like I tell young people when they come talk to me is you're never going to have more flexibility in your life than when you are then right now when you're young like you get you get married then you get you know you get a mortgage yeah. I mean all those things limit your flexibility to take advantage of opportunity in real estate so because yeah. I mean I have people that come to me that are in selling life insurance whatever another industry and they want to get into real estate in their mid-30s and they're married with two kids and a mortgage you know, they got to go get a salary and, and so they're limited. So I think that advice is very good. I mean, it's, it's, it's about um, um, having the flexibility to make a commitment to do what it takes to, to succeed, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, some people would look at me and say, my balance there is not good. Um, and I also have a, a fear of giving too much money to kids because I've seen kids destroyed by money. Yeah. Um, so I spend a lot of my time right now actually figuring out ways to share partnerships with charities and all that good stuff. And that's, that's incredibly fulfilling. So right. it's a giving back. Yeah. Giving back without, I don't like the idea of just writing checks. So what I try to do is, is put charities in deals. Um, and that's such a great idea. So I use my expertise to, and they get to understand a little bit of the experience. That's right. So one of the things about, um, I think giving is better than getting. I actually do too. I agree with you there. And one of the things for me is to do it quietly because then I know I'm doing it for the right reasons. Yep. You know, I mean, I'm not standing there giving you a check or, or doing, making the big, the big oversized check here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, and, yeah. and um, I always try to do it very quietly because then I know I'm doing it for the right reason and in my heart. But I love the idea about, because I, um, I, I do pieces of deals into an entity that gives it away, but I love you. I like that idea. So, so I've learned something from you today. And secondly, I want to re reiterate, I, I have never, I've only met one person uh, that where, where the kids had lots of wealth that wasn't a train wreck. I mean, so I agree with you. I think people have to go feel a self-worth and feel like they've earned what they've got, I think, to, to be productive in life. So I, I completely uh, agree with you, even though it would, I think I could have been good at it if my dad would have left me a bunch of money. <laughs> he never did. But I think I'm, I'm healthy enough to have handled it. But um, I totally agree with that. I tell my kids, I go, you're going to get a good education and, uh, you know, some guidance, but you're on your own, you know? And I think they need that. I think they need to know that they did it themselves. So I, I tell them I'm a developer. I could go bankrupt any day. So yes. just, just playing your own life without, without any thoughts of me. Believe it or not, there's still one element missing from the best possible leader you can be. Compassion. Coming to work every day with the mindset for loving and serving others whether it be your employees or partners. It may seem obvious in hindsight, but without it, the other tools we've discussed just aren't as effective. Here's Jeff Swope and Holt Lunsford talking about the importance of leading with compassion. 
you know, let's talk about these 20 year olds and these young people getting in the business. What's your advice? I mean, you know, I know I see so many people looking for work and you got to, you, yeah. we're in a, we're in a, in a market where everybody's kind of just going, wait. Yeah. Um, but so what, you know, people want guidance. What do you, th if I wouldn't have said this, you know, 30 years ago, uh, but this again is part of what you learn about the business. And we're also, we're also broken and we're also needy. Right. And I, I just, I, the constant thought that goes through, has gone through my mind the last 10 years. And it's just helped me so much. It's helped me apologize for things. It's helped me ask for forgiveness from people. Right. Just love on others. Encourage them. Right. Just encourage them and love on them. Because right. it, it's tough out there. Right. I mean, I needed somebody besides that air conditioner blowing blow on, on me. I, need, I needed somebody loving and encouraging me right then. Right. Because I was, it was, you know, that was about as low as I'd been in six, eight months or so. And I was just going, what am I doing? Right. You know, so anyway, that was. So and, that, and what would you say to somebody, though, that's trying to get into the business right now when they're, I mean, because. Get in. Even it's the lowest go to work for it. Excuse me, appraisers. But get in. Get in. Get in the game. Get That's the what game. I think, too. Appraisal. Whatever. Whatever. Title company. Right. Whatever. Get right. in the game. Right. It's a great business. I right. cannot imagine not being in this business. It right. was the perfect business for, for me, yeah. my screwed up self. Yeah, you could have I mean, been selling a... copiers for 20 years. How could it And you know, I'd have made more money. Oh, yeah. I think we'd all make more money. No, I'd have made yeah. more money if yeah. you were selling copiers and I was in the real estate business. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the most I had, of course, I'm back to my, my second comment, was just be curious. I, I like curious. My notes is great. Here. Being curious. Uh, I tell people if they want to get in the business and they're talking about getting in the you know, the caught on the, the deal side. I said, you know how to run Argus. It right. used to be the common thing you say. Now it's not quite as definitive, but learn. If you're not, I mean, I, when I was at Crow, working my, felt like I was working my tail off. I took construction courses at night because I felt so inadequate and even understand I'd work construction. I knew more than 95% of the people mm -hmm. did doing what I did. For sure, those guys at Kroger, they were all finance jocks out of Harvard and wherever. But, I mean, I took took uh, six hours of construction courses just to learn more about construction. And so I, I just be curious, learn. You can build up your knowledge. And I think the, the third the piece that comes with that is, you know, you have the ability in this business to become an expert in a certain facet of it God, that's so, so, so quickly. And so I told a guy years ago at Workforce, we were over on the Central Expressway. He said, man, he just really wanted to get in this part of the business. I said, tell you what, come on board here. Okay. We'll give you 30 days. I want you to know everything is happening. The office buildings at the corner of Northwest Highway and Central. He said, that's it. I said, that's it. So he updated me, came in about three or four weeks. And I said, he gave me an update. I said, okay, you now know more that anybody in Dallas Fort Worth about the office building business at the corner of Northwest Highway and Central. He looked right. at me like I was crazy. I said, no, you do. You do. You're tracking it. You spent, you've spent three and a half weeks or whatever learning that. He said, well, what do I do now? Right. You want to go to Park Lane? You go to Lover's Lane. Right. <laughs> that's what I said to it. That's beautiful. What, that was it. Right. And so, I mean, that's the opportunity. You can start and you can become an expert on something right. very quickly. Right. I didn't... Uh... One, I didn't get any formal training in leadership. 
because I've always, you know, I was 28 years old when I started this business. So I didn't really, everything I've learned, I've learned through uh, mistakes. And one thing that I'm finding that's working better than anything right now is just the idea of loving and serving your people. And I'm, it's certainly better for me. I'm enjoying it. But I'm seeing what, uh, when you do that with your people, uh, they'll run through a wall for you. Right. And it's really simple. There's, it's, you don't have to read a lot of books on it. You just have to look for ways, get up for what, in the morning and look for ways. How can I serve my people? How can I encourage them? How can I uh, bless them? How can I? And it, and it means sometimes, obviously, you've got to, there's, there's tough situations, just like with your children. You, it can't all be roses and you've got to discipline them and you've got to let them deal with the consequences of um, poor decisions. But generally the, the best leadership that I've been able to foster is just being loving your people and caring for them. And yeah. If you do that with humility, that's another great tool that, that is, that is so, uh, you know, good to great. That's the level five leaders. All were humble, whether they were Christian or not. Uh, humility is attractive. And so working on humility, working on, you know, swallowing your pride and being humble and transparent with your people is the best tool I've found. Yeah. I think people want to know you care, right? And if they do, yes. they will be loyal. And like you said, they'll, 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 um, so many people just don't get fed properly at work. And I think having somebody that, you know, and I think honesty and openness is so important. Um, you know, you just take them along for the ride with you. That will do it for our look back at the first season of Legends of Commercial Real Estate. I'd like to thank Bill Cauley, Jeff Swope, Michael Dardick, Michelle Wheeler, Jack Matthews, and Holt Lunsford for their insight and conversations, and I hope you learned something from what they had to share. Remember to subscribe to TrekCast on your favorite podcast app to listen to the original interviews and get all new episodes right to your mobile device. We put all the relevant links in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.